Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Steve. It's good to be with you. Isn't it a joy to be able to sing about what Jesus Christ has done for us and accomplished for us? That's why we're able to gather together here today, not by our own merit, by any means, but because God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to earth, who took on humanity, being born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, and is 100% God, 100% man, died for us on that cross. And then he rose again from the dead, proving that he's God. And through faith in him, our sin can be forgiven and we can be right with him. And that's what we sing praise about today. That's our Savior. And it's a joy to be together. Well, we are going to open up our Bibles this morning. And we started a new series last week in the book of Joel. That's in your Old Testament. It's not a book to which we may turn often. And if you don't quite know where Joel is, feel free to look it up in the front of your Bible and get a page number and and turn to that number. Right after the book of Daniel and then Hosea and then Joel. Bible scholars classify Joel as a minor prophet. And they don't call it a minor prophet because it contains minor truth. They simply call it a minor prophet because it's short. The major prophets are books like Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel. They go from between 50 and 70 chapters. Little Joel here just has three chapters, so they call it a minor prophet. It's a short book that contains big truth. And we started to look at that truth last week. Some of the themes that run through this little book is are themes like, how does God deal with believers in Him who sin? And then looking at God's discipline. Or looking at believers when they come to a point of repentance, turning from their sin, and then God's faithfulness to them. It's a book that covers past and present and future and it reminds us how we should be responding to God today and what God's program is for the future. And last week in Joel chapter 1 verses 1 through 14, we looked at what we labeled a God-sized issue. God-sized issues are those things that we face that as we face them, it becomes very apparent that I can't do this. I don't have enough strength. I don't have enough intellect. I don't have enough creativity to find a pathway through this. It's too big for me. And we call those God-sized issues. Well, last week in chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, the prophet Joel told the people of Israel that they were experiencing a God-sized issue. They had seen before their very eyes their land devastated, wave after wave after wave of devouring locusts had come through and stripped the land bare. No more crops The trees were laid waste. The bark stripped from the limbs. And the prophet Joel encouraged the people to actually pause 
And think about what they've lost. What have you lost? And Joel drove home the point that really they had lost God's blessing on their lives. And they had lost their ability to come to him in worship because no longer do they have the offerings that they, that were prescribed for them to bring to the Lord wine to pour out as a drink offering or grain to pour out as a great offer as a grain offering saying all is good between us and God and we are praising him. And as they took stock of what they had lost, Joel said, now it is time to come before God in fasting and prayer. It's interesting in those first 14 verses that there's no mention made of why the people of Israel were going through this great trial. There, there wasn't any comment about purpose in it until we get to where we're going today in verses 15 through 20. And we're going to see in verses 15 through 20 that in the midst of this hardship, God is there. I'm going to read, starting in verse 15 of Joel chapter 1. Alas for the day. For the day of the Lord's near, and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. Has not food been cut off before our eyes, gladness and joy from the house of our God? The seed shriveled under the clods. The storehouses are desolate. The barns are torn down, for the grains dried up. How the beasts groan. The herds of cattle wander aimlessly because there's no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. To you, O Lord, I cry, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. And the flame has burned up all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you. For the water brooks are dried up. And fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. The hard stuff. Over 25 years ago, one of my best friends was hurt in an accident at a plant. And as a result, he has ever since that day been bound to a wheelchair. And while my friend has dealt with this in a very positive way and found strength in his relationship with Jesus Christ, some of his relatives have struggled greatly. And one afternoon I was visiting with one of his relatives and this man said to me, this happened because we live in a sinful world. This happened because simply because bad things happen to good people. And in talking with him, it became apparent that his worldview was that God had nothing to do with this. That it simply was a result of my buddy living in a place that's, that has been damaged by sin and simply put... Bad things happen to good people. In fact, his worldview, if you flesh it out, was saying this. 
when bad things happen to us, quote unquote bad things, it's because we live in a world that's tainted by sin and death. When good things happen to us, quote unquote good things, those are from God. That was his operating worldview. And we're going to see that while many people, people who claim to be right with God through Jesus Christ, claim to be followers of Jesus and followers of the scripture and hold that view, that's not a biblical worldview. And we're going to see even here this morning in Joel chapter 1 that God is in the hard stuff too. That that God has purpose. What if God is in the hard stuff? What if God has a role in the hardship that you are experiencing? Well, it certainly would affect how we view our lives, would it not? And here, Joel is going to abruptly intervene into his account here of what's happening to the people. And he is going to charge them with these words that this is from the Lord. Look with me at verse 15. As we look at verse 15, we're going to see that as believers, we need to evaluate what response God wants from us when we experience hardship. Whether it's swift hardship, prolonged hardship, we need to ask the question, why? Why does God have me here in this set of circumstances? Why? Well, verse 15 opens in the Hebrew text, remember the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, with just two simple words that my translation of the Bible translates here in verse 15, alas for the day. The New English translation says, how awful that day will be. And several of the translations simply say, woe, W-O-E. Whoa, the day. And what Joel's going to say is you guys think that this has been bad up to this point? When we look around and all of our food is gone and the trees are laid waste and there's no vegetation, you think that's bad? Look at the second clause of verse 15. The day of the Lord is near. Meaning, this is just a precursor to what's coming. This is like the warm-up band, what we've been experiencing. It's going to get worse. This, what we've had to endure here with all these locusts is just a signal that God is going to do something. And by the way, Joel says, God's in it. He's in the hardship. Notice as the verse continues, it says, For the day of the Lord is near. Now that's a really unique phrase. 
And amongst the different books of the Old Testament that are labeled prophets, those books that are written with a message from a man of God or a woman of God that is directed toward people with a message from God, either about now or a message about something that's going to happen in the future. Those prophets use this phrase quite a bit. And it's usually connected with God breaking through in a very distinct way. And then in the Old Testament, he breaks through with discipline. Usually because his people or another people have been sinning against him. And here, Joel says, all of this devastation that we've been having, it's it's a warning. It's a precursor. It's the warm-up band to this day of the Lord And by the way, it's near. And we're going to see in the book of Joel, as we work our way through it, that this is not the only time that the day of the Lord is referred to by the prophet. In fact, there will be some events coming up that Joel labels as the day of the Lord. And then Joel actually will refer to what Bible scholars call an eschatological fulfillment. Now that's a word we don't use very often, eschatological. It simply means the last stuff. Eschatos is the Greek word for last. So when we talk about eschatology, we talk about the study of last things. And this day of the Lord will find its ultimate fulfillment... As John writes in the book of Revelation, when God breaks through both in discipline and in blessing in the tribulation and the millennial kingdom, as we read about in the book of Revelation. But here, Joel's talking about a specific day of the Lord that's very imminent for the, for his listenership, his readership. It's just around the corner. We think things have been so bad, they're going to get worse. And by the way, God is in the hardship. It's the day of the Lord. In fact, he goes on in verse 15, and he uses kind of a word play. And remember, the Hebrews love to to make a point by using words that sound similar to each other or repeating words. Here, he says, it's going to come as destruction from the Almighty. And he uses two Hebrew words. The first one is should. And should is the word for destruction. The word for the Almighty is should I. Should, should I. That's what he says. Should, should I. Destruction from the Almighty. Now, those of you in my era would know the name Amy Grant. And Amy Grant was famous for a song that she sang about the different names of God. And I'm not going to sing it today, but it starts out, El Shaddai, El Shaddai. You remember that song? El, short for Elohim, and Shaddai, this name of God that's used here in verse 15. We don't know a lot about the history of that word, except a form of that word is used to refer to a mountain. And often... In the Old Testament, when it translates the name of God, Shaddai, it's translated in it, Almighty, just like you'd see a powerful mountain. It's used many times in the Old Testament in verses that are teaching that God is 
big enough to be faithful to his promises to his people. And it's also used in verses where it says that God's big enough to bring discipline upon his people. Isn't it interesting that God's discipline and his faithfulness are used with this name of God, Shaddai. And here Joel uses it and is saying, this big God, this almighty God of ours, he's the one that's bringing the destruction. Should? Should I? Destruction from the Almighty. You see, Joel wants to clearly paint the picture that God is in this. That He's not just a deist God that set everything to, to start working and then was hands off. That God is in the hard stuff. And that's an issue. That we as Christians, we as believers in Jesus Christ, have to grapple with why do quote-unquote bad things happen to us. And some Christians today take the position that my my buddy's relative did. That quote-unquote bad things happen to us simply because we live in a sinful world that's been marked by sin and and bad things happen to good people. And espousing that view, sometimes people turn to passage like Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, in trying to uh, promote that view, which says this. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's, we're just part of what God set in, in motion. And he, he's not really intimately involved in that stuff that hits us. And some believe that. That's how they, they operate. That's how they try to make everything fit in their worldview. Because it's in, for some, it's incomprehensible that God could possibly be involved in the hard stuff. Others look at a passage like this and would say that, well, this bad stuff happens to us because we live in a world that's marked by sin, but then God reacts to it. He can take that bad stuff that's happened to us and he can somehow weave it into his plan. And passages like Romans chapter 8 verse 28 would be used to support that position. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And some view, quote unquote, the bad stuff as being used by God, but those things happen to us because of where we live in this sinful world. The third very broad brush stroke of why bad things happen to good people would say that in God's scheme of things, what we sometimes consider bad isn't bad. That, that God is in control even 
during the bad stuff. And we can turn to passages like the book of Job, where Satan came and said, I want permission to strike Job with illness. And God says, okay, you can do that, but that's it. There was nothing that happened to Job outside of God's permissive will. Here, Joel is saying that God is in the bad stuff. That that this just doesn't happen to Israel by chance. That God has a purpose in it. Just like when we go through hardship today, God has a purpose in it for us. And if we believe that, it transforms how we view our everyday lives. If we believe that God is a big enough God to actually be in the hard stuff, then we can ask ourselves the question, why? If we don't believe that God is involved in the hard stuff, there's no reason to ask the question, why? It's just, hey, man, this is a bummer. I live in a sinful world. But if we believe that God is in the hard stuff, then we can ask the question, why? Why am I enduring this? And the New Testament gives us several answers. Sometimes God is trying to get our attention. Sometimes maybe we have been living with sin in our life that we have not been willing to turn from. And, and we find passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 27 through 32 saying to the Corinthians, you know why you're sick right now? Because you, you're not showing love to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And because of that, you're coming to the Lord's table, you're taking communion, and if everything's right between you and God and your brothers and sisters in Christ, but in actuality, you're not loving your brothers. That's why you're ill. I'm trying to get your attention. Or passages like Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, where John writes to the church in Laodicea, and says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. So sometimes we go through hardship because God is trying to get our attention about our sin, but not all the time. Sometimes we simply go through hardship because God wants to strengthen us. He wants us to learn endurance. He wants to make us more like Jesus Christ. And James in chapter 1 talks about that. It's a very counterintuitive passage. When I read James 1, I just, it just, the only way I can do this is by his strength, because it says in verse 2, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. How many of us face a trial and say, yes! We, I mean, it's just, it's counterintuitive, right? I mean, do we really, in and of ourselves, and our own strength, rejoice when we hit the hard stuff. But here James says, that's how we should consider it. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, God can use the hard stuff to make us more like Jesus Christ. And the, another area we see in the New Testament why we sometimes go through hard stuff is that God wants Jesus Christ to be seen in your life and my life in the midst of the hard stuff by those who don't know him. 
What better opportunity? You're going through hard stuff. You've got co-workers at the office, at the plant, in your place of work. And they look at you and say, how can he even be functioning? And start to wonder, what's different? And that's why Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 13, verses 13 through 17, that we always need to be ready to give a defense of that hope that's within us when someone asks us for a reason. So there's a variety of reasons why we go through hard stuff. The real question is, am I willing to acknowledge that God can be in the difficult times? And am I willing to pause long enough to say, why? If you walk down the hallway here at Faith Bible Church and come down to the office suites, the pastors and the different ministry staff and the staff of a couple of Christian organizations all have offices there. And most of our pastoral staff have dry erase boards in their office. And you'd look at that and say, man, that's old school. Dry erase boards? That's, you know, this is the digital age. And sometimes, yeah, but oh, it's nice to have a dry erase board. And the new ones are cool. Mine is like, it looks like it's glass, but it's magnetized somehow. Even though I can look through it, I can stick a magnet on it. And it's just really cool. And I can have a little parking lot up here of stuff that I can maybe use a certain color and say, this is my parking lot for things I can't do today, but I need to do sometime. Or maybe I can just write up a quick note. So because when you mature in age as I am, you need to write down notes. And sometimes it's good to have a place maybe just to put down questions. You know, if Israel here had a huge dry erase board, like the kind that looks like if you've ever been to the ESPN zone in Chicago, I'm not sure if it's still there anymore, but it used to be downtown, and they had this giant TV that was the whole wall of the restaurant. If that was the size of Israel's dry erase board and you gave Israel this really bright neon green marker to write a question up there, like the important stuff, it could be simply this question. Why? It's a question that so often we don't ask ourselves. Our tendency is to hit the hardship put our head down, and just go as fast as we can. It reminds me of a time I was hunting in North Dakota, and this big buck came out of these trees, and oftentimes when a buck runs, it just puts its head down. And we had an entire section of ground with a clump of trees in the middle, and we had one pickup on each side of each section. So we got a whole mile here, okay? That buck came out of those trees, put his head down, and he just took off and ran and ran and ran, just like we do. And then he kept getting closer to my buddy's pickup and kept getting closer and kept getting closer and kept getting closer with his head down, just running, running, running. And he ran right smack into that pickup and broke his neck. And sometimes we deal with the hard stuff that way and we just put our head down and we start to run and we start to run and we start to run until we hit a wall, don't we? 
And what Joel is trying to get the people to do here is instead of just putting our head down and run, he is saying, pause, consider, reflect. Maybe even ask the question, why? What's God have for me in this? I guarantee you, if you go through a time of hardship, and if you go to God in prayer and say, God, is there sin in my life that you're trying to get my attention through and you want me to confess before you, please reveal it to me? He will. And sometimes there's not. Sometimes God has you in that set of circumstances so that you will grow to be more like Jesus Christ. Or sometimes God may have you in that set of circumstances because there's somebody else over here that needs to see Christ in you. And sometimes those aren't always clear. But we are always supposed to pause. We're always supposed to ask the question, why? Now, Joel here in verses 16 through 20 is really driving this point home. In fact, he's going to go back to what he did in chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, and he is going to rehearse for Israel just how bad everything is. He said, now, just so there's no mistake here, I'm going to go back and review. I want you to be mindful of the fact that things are really bad, and they're going to get worse. In fact, he wants to review how bad things are to, in a sense, support his position that the day of the Lord is near. Because in the Old Testament, this devastation by locusts, it's not the first time. When we go back to the book of Exodus chapters 10 and 11, one of the plagues that God brought upon the people of Egypt early on were locusts before things got really bad and Pharaoh let Moses and the people of Israel leave. When we come to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28, verses 38 through 42, we see that locust devastation accompanies God's discipline when his people are disobedient. So here, in verses 16 through 20, Joel is going to rehearse for Israel just how bad things are. And then he's going to show them how they should respond. And we're going to see that This hardship that they faced, that we faced, is really a call. It's a call for us to seek God and to pray. Notice with me verse 16. Has not food been cut off before our eyes? In other words, we had to sit and watch this. It was grueling, but we had to sit and watch this devastation, and we couldn't do a thing about it. In verse 17 and verse 20, evidently there's been some drought that's accompanied this devastation. And he said the seeds in the ground have just shriveled up. Down in verse 20, he says the water brooks are dried. In verse 18, he says the pasture is so devastated, not only the cattle can't find anything to eat, the sheep can't even find anything to eat, and they even go closer to the ground than the cattle. It's bad. So what does Joel do? Verse 19. To you, O Lord, I cry. I call out to you. When I'm hitting this hardship, my response is to seek God. When I hit times 
that are tough. This is what our response should be to seek God. In fact, if you look down on verse 20, he says, even the beasts of the field paint for you, God. Meaning the animals are ultimately looking to God to supply what they need. So much more shouldn't we be seeking after God, panting after God. That's the same word that's used in Psalm 42, verse 1, when it talks about the deer panting after the Lord, after the water brooks. And here Joel is saying, when we hit those hard times, it should be a call to prayer. It should be a call to us to say, God, I need you. I long for you. I thirst for you. You are the only thing that will bring satisfaction to my life. I hunger for you. This past week was momentous for my wife and I. We sent out our youngest son into the world for his first real job. His first post-college job. It's a good feeling. He's gone. And hopefully we'll stay gone. He moved out to Bloomington, Minnesota. And he starts in a week at his new position. One of the evenings, right before he left, we were sitting around together in our lower level of our home. And and Barbara was telling our son Shane about what her dad used to do to her when she was in high school, early high school. She grew up in McPherson, Kansas, quite a thriving metropolis, McPherson. And uh, my father-in-law, Mel, used to take his dad's old pickup from the farm, and he would drive Barbara to school in that thing and then purposefully stall it right in front of school just to embarrass her because that's the kind of guy he is. And so it just mortified my wife because she was pretty much the cool chick on campus. And here's dad bringing her in this old pickup, stalling it out right in front of school. And she was bemoaning all this. And I said, well, why is your dad taking you to school? She said, well, it's too far to walk. Well, it's too far to walk. Why didn't you take the bus? And she said, well, they didn't have bus service. And I said, okay, we've got to get to the bottom of this. So let's map quest it. Let's find out how far it was. And she thought to herself and said, I don't remember what my street name was. I said, well, you lived on Walnut Street in McPherson, Kansas. And she looked at me and said, well, how do you know that? Which unleashed a teachable moment for my son. Between my second and third year of college, and my potential bride went to the same college, and I was best friends with her brother, I went down to see my good buddy, her brother, in Kansas. Unbeknownst to me, he wasn't there the day that I arrived, and so I thought, well, I'll just go to his church, and I walked in, and there was Barbara standing at the top of the stairs. I had known her for a year and a half. Never really thought much about her, but for some reason that day, I looked and a light went off. And I thought, hey, she's cute. (laughs) And all of a sudden, I thought, I've got to pursue this girl. 
And so I started to write her. And I wrote her a letter. And I was working in this gross warehouse in Omaha. It's hot, old. I'd go work all day long in the heat and the humidity, come home. And the first thing I would do is I'd open the mailbox, no letter. And I'd do that day after day. And I thought, okay. Maybe I better write her again. So I write her another letter and I look expectantly, waiting, waiting. All I want to hear is just a word from this girl that she's maybe acknowledging my presence. No letter. I kid my sons that if their mother kept all of the letters that I wrote her, she would have to have a huge roll of duct tape and all of the letters that she wrote me could be put together with a paper clip. Just waiting, waiting. I just, I just hungered for a word from this girl and finally it came. And here the prophet Joel says when we get to the hard times, we need to seek after God like we'd seek after a potential mate desperately wanting to hear. With that same level of passion, we need to to pant after God. We need to turn to Him because He's our only hope. We need to seek Him in prayer. We need to hunger to hear back from Him, expectantly coming to our Bibles when we're in times of hardship, expecting that he will take the words of this book and by his Holy Spirit encourage us and help us and help us know which way we should go. And we can ask ourselves the question why. And we will only ask that if we're convinced that God is in the hard stuff. And when we finally ask him why, we are in a position to start listening. We are in a position to start seeking. And I would encourage us, while we need to seek God alone, we also need to seek God with our brothers and sisters in Christ. This weekend I called up one of my accountability partners and I said, Bud, would you just pray for me for these two things this weekend? We need to have people in our network, in your community group, in your adult ed class, in your co-workers within ministry here at Faith Bible Church, we need to have people within our network that we can reach out to and say, would you pray for me about this along with me? Can you pray for me as I'm hurting in this hardship? Because we don't walk the Christian life alone. And here, Joel says this. Pause. Take stock. We think things have been bad. They're going to get worse. And by the way, God's in it. He's in the hard stuff. And if we recognize that he's in it, it puts us in a position to say, why? What kind of a response are you seeking from me, Lord? Is it a response of repentance for my sin? Is it a response of just trust? Is it a response that you want me to express my dependence on you and cry out to you and seek you to seek to hear from you as I dig into my Bible? Is it a response that you are wanting me to call my brothers and sisters in Christ alongside of me and seek you together? But Joel says for sure this is true. God has a purpose in the hard stuff. 
And when we experience swift or extensive hardship, we need to ask why. We need to acknowledge his purpose. And we need to seek him and call out to him in prayer. You may be here today and and you've been going through some hardship. I encourage you, one of our leaders, one of our elders, will be directly behind you in that prayer room back there. You can just go back there and pray for a few minutes. Or maybe, as we talked about at the beginning of our, of our hour, that, uh, that we can't even be in relationship with God apart from Jesus Christ. And maybe you don't know if you're right with God or not. I encourage you to stop back. And we've got some printed material that we can hand to you. And you can take out your own Bible. And you can look up verses that assure you that you can be right with God. Father, I thank you for your word And I thank you that you are a big enough God that you can be in the hard stuff. Help us, Father, to first of all acknowledge that you're big enough to be faithful to your promises and to discipline. And that as we come to you and ask why, that you welcome us to seek you and to call out to you in prayer. Help us to have that thirst for you as a deer pants for the water. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.